things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, coming at you as I love to do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check your lo local listeners. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. It's almost the new year. Time for new things. Time to make money. To save money. But here's the question. What are you doing today to prepare for life in the future? Are you building wealth? Spending money on cars, clothes, a home? They're all great, but building wealth, I got news for you. That's the name of the game. Building wealth can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. One of the biggest ways folks are getting paid is in crypto and NFTs. Personally, I don't get it. I never have. I ain't spending my money on that crap. That's just me. I'm old fashioned. But I want to be able to see my money and get it out when the hell I want to. I've got a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine who's been my friend for a quarter century. She's also my financial advisor. Uh, her name is the wonderful Stacy Robinson. Uh, nobody's in my face about my money more than she is. I trust no one more than I trust her. If anything or anybody has taught me the importance of money, it's her. But I got news for you. I got somebody coming up next that even she'd love to listen to. My guest today is big time. One of the 100 most influential women in all of United States finance. She is the real deal. She's the one and only Susie Orman. She's up next and I'm getting her right now because I'd be damned if I'm going to keep her waiting. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to No Mercy, and it is my honor and privilege to have my next guest. I just want to throw out a few things before I even introduce her. Introduce her. Um, obviously, Forbes is named to one of the top 10 most influential celebrities, as well as one of the world's 100 most powerful women. Time magazine is once named to one of the world's 100 most influential people on more than one occasion. As late back as 1999, Smart Money magazine named her one of the top 30 power brokers. She owes two Emmy Awards for Outstanding Service Show and numerous Gracie Allen Awards from American women in radio and television. She's had her own financial financial show on CNBC. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't figured it out by now, let me help you out. My next guest is a financial expert, author of 10 New York Times best-selling books, and host of the Women and Money podcast. Please welcome 
Emmy and Gracie Award winner, the lovely, the wonderful, the incomparable Miss Susie Orman. Welcome to No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. How are you? How's everything? I'm great. Thank you. And I love that I'm here because I'm like, I can't wait to hear what we're going to talk about. Like, this is exciting to me because most interviews I can predict. They want to know this. They want to know that. With you, I don't know. Let's see what happens here, boyfriend. Well, well listen, with, with, with me, here's the bottom line. Let's just start this off with a statement. I want to know how to make money. I want to know how to keep the money that I make. How about that? It's very, very simple to me. <laughs> and I think that I speak for millions upon millions of people, not just in, in, in this nation, but in this world that want to know something like this. When you hear people come to you and they say, we need this kind of advice because we know that you know. How does that make you feel, Susie, at this point in time in your life and your career that you're considered that go-to person when it comes to, to teaching people how to conserve, save, invest their money, et cetera, et cetera? I love it. But let me tell you why I really love it. Sometimes you can love it when people come to you and they give you all these accolades. And who knows if what you're telling them works or it doesn't work. Because I've been doing this now for 40 years. I know what I tell people to do with money works. I don't have a shadow of a doubt about that. I get thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of emails saying, Susie, I've been listening to you for 20 or 30 years. I've done everything you told me to do. And now this is how many millions of dollars I have. I own my home outright, whatever it may be. So that's what makes me feel good. But here's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, do this, do that, do that, do this. But if you don't take the actions and do what I tell you to do, all the advice in the world, Stephen, isn't going to do you or anybody else any good. And that's what happens when it comes to money. People don't do that, which they know they should do. And why don't they do that? Well, I mean, if you want to keep money, if you want to keep your money growing, why would you know to do something? Know and feel it in the fiber of your being that it's the right thing to do, but yet turn around and not do it, thereby therefore jeopardizing the money that you've earned. Why do people make that mistake, Susie? They make that mistake because we have become a society of immediate gratification. We believe that there will always be time for us to make it up. We can work forever. Nothing will ever go wrong with us. We're never going to get hurt. So if we decide to take the $5,000 that we saved and all of a sudden go on vacation because we worked hard and we deserve that vacation, we go on vacation. Oh, we were in pandemic for two years and now we're out. And it's called revenge spending. That's the technical name for it. We now are going out and spending on going out to eat, going on vacations, going you know anywhere and doing all this stuff because we deserve it. Why? Because we were locked up for two years. Oh, give me a break. But we want what we want and we want it now. And we're, we don't have to worry about having money. And why is that? Because we have credit cards. So if mm. you don't have money, all you have to do is go and put it on a credit card, pay the minimum payment due, and hey, it's fine. So that's part of the reason why we don't do that which we know we should do. 
What about people, like you said, that, you know, they've got their credit cards and because they've got their credit cards to pay the minimum payment, the card can keep, you know, you keep going. You, you, you'll swipe it and it'll work at whatever restaurant, department store or whatever the case may be. But when you think about your advocacy at this moment in time, Susie Orman, are you of the mindset, have no debt, don't accumulate anything, try not to use credit cards, whatever the case may be. What's the formula to success in your estimation in terms of how you utilize or spend money at this moment in time in the year 2022 in light of everything that you're seeing in the world today? Yeah, you got to do three things. And those three things are very easy to do. Number one, you have got to live below your means, but within your needs. Just because you have a paycheck coming in and you think you can afford right, a new car or this and that, because that month that you can afford it. That's your means. No, you have to live below your means, below what you can afford, but within your needs. Now, what is a need? A need is something like you need medicine, you need clothes sometimes to live, you know, to keep yourself warm. You need a right. car. It doesn't have to be a fancy car. So what's the second thing? How do you do that? You do that by, from this day on, every time you buy something, until you have a lot of money, every time you buy something, ask yourself, is this a want or is this a need? If it is a want, you just don't buy it. What is a want? Want, by the way, you don't have any money in an emergency account. You're in credit card debt. You're far behind on your savings. Therefore, a want would be, let's go out three times a week to eat. Let's hmm. go and do this. Right? You know, Let's buy this. It, we want it. But do you need it? A need, hmm. like I said before, is food that you buy at a grocery store medicine, clothes to keep you warm because you don't have a coat or boots and you live in New York or wherever. Three, get as much pleasure out of saving as you do spending. How and can you that- do that, Susie? How <laughs> could you do that? You said pleasure out of savings. How could you do that, Susie? If you if you if you gotta save and that saving is depriving you of what you want, you got a lot of people living out in the world today saying tomorrow's not guaranteed. I'm saving, I'm saving, I'm saving, but I'm depriving myself out of what I want. How in God's name can you find as much pleasure out of depriving yourself of what of what you want to save for a, a, a rainy easy, day? Easy, easy, and I'll tell you how. You need to understand what is the goal of money. And the goal of money is to make you secure so that you feel secure. You should want to be secure. How many of you never deprive yourself of anything, but yet at night you're up three o'clock in the morning because you don't know how you're going to pay your credit cards. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You live in fear of losing your job. You live in fear of if somebody gets sick, what are you going to do? Because you can't afford health insurance. Mm. The goal of money is for you to be secure. If you want to attain that goal, then you would get more pleasure out of saving than you do spending because you would realize that spending is taking you down that rabbit hole and there aren't any even rabbits in there that you can catch to eat. Mm. And so, you know, listen, money alone will never make you happy, Stephen, but lack of money sure will make you miserable. 
And we've experienced that, and we are experiencing it right here and right now. How many of you can really afford rent anymore? How many of you who have never, and I'm not talking about those of you who make a lot of money. You know, a long time ago, um, Charles Barkley, I think it was, wanted to do a show with me called Broke about how <laughs> athletes, at least his as some showrunner told me, some producer told me he wanted to, yeah. I myself never spoke to him, wanted to do a show about how athletes get all this money and then they go broke. What can we do for them? And I said, I'm not doing nothing for them. Are you kidding me? They get a $12 million signing bonus. They're making fifty hundred. No, I'm interested in everyday people that don't mm. make those kind of money. And so so everyday people, people that are listening to you, that love listening to you, you know, it's, it's, can they afford to buy a home? Can they afford to keep their apartment that they're renting? Can they even afford to buy eggs anymore or chicken mm-hmm. or anything at a grocery store? And the answer mm-hmm. to that is no, they are living paycheck to paycheck. Do you know, Stephen, that over 50%, it's even maybe 60% now of the people in the United States of America don't even have $400 to their name to meet a $400 oh emergency. I didn't know that. Well, I had no idea do. about that. Wow. Susie, listening to you, listening to the passion and every word that you articulate. Yeah. When did you gather this? When did this come about? Where you just said, okay, I can be successful. I think I have the ingredients to success, but it's not enough. It's important for me to help everybody out there who is seeking that help to make sure they don't find themselves in a really bad spot, a really bad position. Where did that come from? When, when, when did you get that way? So a little bit of a long story, if I have time for it. Sure. I grew up, yes, on, the south, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, right? My father was always sick. My mother was a secretary who sold Avon on the side. Now, this is back in the 50s and the okay. 60s. And there we are. And I really thought that the reason that my family was so miserable is because we didn't have any money. So I grew up thinking money is the key to happiness. Now, I go to the University of Illinois after four years, I don't even graduate at that time because of whatever reason. And now I find myself living on the streets of Berkeley, California, in a Ford Econoline van that my brother gave me money to buy. Now I land my dream job as a waitress at the Buttercup Bakery. And from 1973 to 1980, I'm now 29 years of age in 1980, Right? I'm making $400 a month. And mm. I'm like, oh my God, the people that I'm working for, all of my ideas have made them so much money and I'm still making $400 a month. I know I want to open up my own restaurant. I call my parents, ask them for $20,000. My mom says to me in 1980, where are we going to get $20,000? We don't have $20,000 to our name, Susie. I go to work the next day. A man by the name of Fred Hasbrook, who I've been waiting on for seven years, comes in. He said, what's wrong, sunshine? You don't look happy. I tell him the story. He goes down and he sits with all the other customers that for seven years, I loved being a waitress, I have to tell you, right? Mm-hmm. And 
told them, told them all the story. He comes back and he puts on the counter checks and commitments totaling $50,000. Wow. And he tells me I'm to take all of this money down to the local Merrill Lynch office in Oakland, California, and open up a money market account until they could really help me start my own restaurant. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what a Merrill Lynch was. I didn't know what a money market was at the time. I did that. And when you walk into a brokerage firm, at least back then, you're met by the broker of the day. His name was Randy. I sat down with him. I told him what this money was for. He knew I was a waitress. And he says to me, how would you like to make a quick $100 a week? I go, Randy, that's like more than I make as a waitress. He said, sign here on the bottom line of these blank papers. I left. Mm. He filled out that paperwork to make it look like I was a sophisticated investor and all this money and qualified me to trade options. And if all of you don't know what option trading is, you just have to know that buying options is the most speculative thing you can do. 90% of the people lose all of their money. So none of you ever want to do that. It's like going to a casino. It's like going to a casino. Within three months, all $50,000 was lost. Mm. Now, I didn't know what to do. Because when these people gave me the money, they gave me a little letter written on a napkin that said... This is for people like you to have your dream come true, to be paid back in 10 years at no interest if you can. These were not rich people that gave me this money, Stephen. One gave me $2,000. One gave me $1,000. They didn't have money to lose. So I knew I had to pay them back. And I thought, I know I can be a broker. They just make you broker. And I Mm. went into Merrill Lynch dressed in my red and white striped sassoon pants tucked into my white cowboy boots with a blue silk shirt on. I thought I looked hot. Everybody at the Buttercup Bakery said, go girl, right? And I walked in there to apply for a job because there was not one woman broker at the time, 1980, Mm. Oakland office. I walk in, I find myself in the manager's office and he says to me, Susie Orman, right, we are going to hire you, but you need to know, I believe women belong barefoot and pregnant. He said that? Absolutely. His name was Peter Sansevero. And I love telling this story on television because of what came to me. So he said, but in six months, we will fire you. I say to him, how much are you going to pay me to make me pregnant? And he tells me $1,500 a month. Listen, 1500 times six, because he told me he was going to fire me, $9,000. Mm-hmm. That would have taken me over two years at the Buttercup Bakery. And I go, fine. I go out. I get my first credit card at Macy's. And they approve it because I'm hired. Because I don't have clothes to be a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. Then... Studying to be a stockbroker, I realized what my broker did was illegal. It was Mm. illegal. And he was one of their top brokers. Go into Peter's office and say, you have a crook working for you. He said, Susie, that crook makes us a lot of money. You go and sit down and don't say anything. Somebody who really liked me there, right? Um, You know, 
knew he was head of all operations and he really liked me. And he essentially mm. gave me the name of a lawyer that he said, this person will take care of you. I called the lawyer. He said, we're suing Merrill Lynch. And I said, I don't have any money to sue. He said, I'm taking this one on contingency. This one is easy. I didn't even know what contingency was. And yeah. I figured, okay, want to know what I didn't know? Because we sued him, they couldn't fire me. By the time it came to court, I was their number six producing broker. Wow. And, and the rest is kind of history. However, here is the real answer to your question. I could have sat there and said nothing like Peter wanted me to. But saying nothing would have been easy, but it wouldn't have been right. Those people told me, Stephen, I didn't have to pay them back. But what mm. if it wasn't me? What if it was my mom? And yeah. every penny that they had to their name was down the drain. So that is when I became an advocate for every single person who came to invest with me or I could speak to because I never wanted them to lose money and I never wanted them to be taken by a broker who was crooked. That's why. That's how this whole thing started. Wow. So, Susie, I mean, you sit here and you look and, and let's fast forward taking that past into consideration and looking at where we are now, where you've had recent controversies with the whole cryptocurrency deal. You see celebrities getting sued. You see somebody like a Donald Trump, former president, uh, trying to, to, you know, ingratiate himself into the world of NFTs and beyond. And I, I want you to talk about it first from this standpoint. Is it any different now than it was back in the days that you described early 80s and beyond, do you see something going on today that you want to alarm and alert everyone to as it pertains to what's going on in the financial stratosphere? What, what are your thoughts about what's transpiring now? And I brought up Donald Trump because he was in the New York Post today with folks telling, saying, you know, don't get involved in that. Stay away from that. What, what the hell is the ex-president doing? What yeah. are your thoughts about all of that right now? Yeah. You know, I think it would be so important um, to, for people to really understand how we went from gold to fiat currency that was backed by gold to then fiat currency that was backed by the government and created by the government and then to cryptocurrency. And from there, how we got to non-fungible tokens, which is exactly what, you know, President Trump is selling right now. Bottom mm -hmm. line. And I have said this now for years on my Women and Money podcast. And in fact, the full name of it is Women and Money and Everyone's Smart Enough to Listen because everybody needs to understand money. And if you don't understand how women operate with money, your relationship is going to go down the drain. I can tell you that right now. But, mm. but I have said forever, you are not to invest in cryptocurrency on any level unless you are investing with money that you can afford to lose, period. It is different than how what I told you about, because I really was taken by a crooked broker. And if I had known better, I never would have signed blank papers and things like that. P some people have made a fortune in cryptocurrencies. They bought low, they sold high. But for everyday people, I would not touch it with a 10 
foot pole. Why? You can't afford to lose anything because you can't afford the loss. And we're seeing what just happened with FTX and many yes. other celebrities now that because of whatever Sam Bankman-Fried, who was CEO and founder of FTX, paid them to go on television say, and I'm doing it. this, I'm doing that. I mean, and everybody, and so everybody got into it, especially because their sports heroes were saying, this is what I'm doing. And now all that money is lost. What a shame that happens to be. But is there a possible future for what cryptocurrency is built on, which is called blockchain technology? There is, but I still wouldn't be touching it without, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, unless it's money that you can afford to lose. And these non-fungible tokens, do you even know what they are, Stephen, and why I, they call I do them not. that? I would do you, not. They can't come you, to me with that. I like my money. I try to hold right. on to my money. But do you want me to tell you what it is or do you not even Please. care? All right. No, I care. All right. First, you have to understand what the word fungible means. And the word fungible means you can exchange something for the exact same thing. I have a dollar and I can exchange it for another dollar. They're exactly the same. I have gold. I can exchange it for another piece of gold. And they're all worth the same things. Non-fungible means you can't exchange it. There is only one of them. And there is no more than one of them. And there will never be more than one. And that non-fungible token is usually a piece of art or something like that that is held on the block chain technology that has been created that helps cryptocurrency become cryptocurrencies. And Mm -hmm. it's just the most stupid thing I've ever heard of in my life. You know, have I ever bought one? No. Would I ever? No. It's just stupid, everybody. Stay away from it. But that's what it is. Mm. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made, Susie? As it pertains to your finances. Yeah, leasing a car. It was during a time when I really didn't have much money at all. I just started to be a stockbroker and I wanted to be like all the other guys. They were driving BMWs and Mercedes the latest year, and I was driving a 1967 Volvo station wagon, parking Mm -hmm. it on the street to get tickets because I couldn't afford the $80 to park in the lot with everybody else. And Mm -hmm. I leased a car. And why did I lease a car? Because I wanted to pull up to a stop sign, Stephen, and I wanted to impress people I didn't even know or like. You know, they would look at me and they would go, oh, nice car. You know, you're in this nice car and people look at you and they go, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. great. Right? That was the stupidest thing I've ever done with money. That and I was dating a woman. Everybody knows that I'm a lesbian. I was dating a woman who was extremely wealthy. And I wasn't at the time. Right? But I had money in a 401k. I had been saving it. And I wanted to impress her. I took money alone out of my 401k to buy a Cartier watch, 
which at the time was $7,500. Mm-hmm. And and that had to be the stupidest thing ever. Why? Because in both those cases, I thought things would define who I am. It wasn't until I had a lot of money that I realized money doesn't define who I am. I define myself and I define my money. The woman that you were dating at the time that you wanted to impress, what did she say to you when she found out you did that? Well, what was interesting is I don't, I didn't tell her that's how I did it. I was lying through my teeth. I was lying through my teeth to her and Mm. it didn't come out until we were in San Francisco on the Bay Bridge. I guess I was speeding. I'm now pulled over when we get off the bridge and I get a ticket and I start crying. She goes, why are you crying? I go, I don't even have $40 to my name because what I did have was $250,000 of credit card debt. And I told her everything. And the real turnaround for me was sitting in a Denny's with my BMW leased in right outside, my Cartier mm-hmm. watch on, these fancy clothes. And I realized that the woman waiting on me had more money than me because there was no way that she had $250,000 of credit card debt. That's when I went out and I told everybody how much credit card debt I had, the mistakes I made, and that's when everything started to turn around. So the main, the main thing of this story is stand in your truth, everybody. If you have debt, don't hide it from people. Tell them that you have debt. Don't be ashamed. Do you think because you have debt that you go up to heaven, you die, and God's going to say, no, you can't come in here. You're going right down because you have debt. Debt doesn't make you a bad person. All it does is it makes you somebody who's been bad with money. And there are a million reasons why that possibly is true. What is, and I ask you this question in all honesty, what's the definition of being good with money? And I ask that question in this respect, Susie. You might not have debt. You might be able to afford the things that you want. Like you said, the thing that I find interesting in listening to you it, it makes me ask the question, what exactly is enough money in Ooh. the eyes of someone like Susie Orman? How would you define someone that has enough money? What does that mean to you? Does it mean simply being able to pay your debt yeah, or not having tr- debt? What is it? No, truthfully, having enough money is that you lose your job, you get sick, you can't work, something happens, you have enough money to not only pay all of your bills, but to live a relatively nice lifestyle, meaning you can eat, you can do a few things for the rest mm-hmm. of your life, for the rest of your life, right? Because you Susie, don't I have to be- confess. Oh. I have a confession. I, I'm being educated here, Susie. I've, this has always been my rule. Steve, the money that you make, the bills that you have, if you lost your job today, can you afford to maintain the quality of life that you've built for yourself for three years? If that answer was yes, I thought that was enough. Based on what you're telling me, 
nope, it's not enough at all. I've been wrong. Right. And one of the reasons why, Stephen, is because, at, like right now, as I sit here with you, I'm 71. And I've had some serious medical issues in the past two years. And the mm. truth is, like, I'm lucky because of who I am. And I've worked hard for it. I'm proud to say that I'm wealthy. But the truth is, most people who even had a lot of money, their money would go very quickly if they didn't have long-term care insurance, possibly, if they didn't have somebody who could take care of them, to afford everything that it takes when you do get older. My mom, my mom lived to 97, cost me mm. millions and millions of dollars to take care of my mom because she refused to get long-term care insurance when she was younger, even though I was going to pay for it. Mm. But, but so the thing is this, how long will your money last at a reasonable interest rate? How is your money invested? Like, look at what's happened to us since January of this year. Many people who had a serious sum of money invested in Amazon and Apple and all of these stocks have lost 30, 40, 50% of their money right now. Now what happens to all of you? Look at what happened in 2008, 2009. Real estate, maybe you thought you had a $700,000 home in Tampa. All of a sudden, it's worth $150,000, but you still owe $600,000 on it. Anything can happen at any time to any one of us. And if that happens, do you have enough money to continue living? And it's really far more than one would think, truthfully, yeah. Stephen. And yeah. so you're an advocate, a strong advocate of long-term insurance. Only if you can afford it. Because if you cannot afford it, average age of entry into a nursing home is 84. Average, um, you know, average length of a nursing home stay can be anywhere from one to eight years. And it's really expensive. So you have to know, can you not only afford it when you buy it, but can you afford it all the way until you're 84 or 90 years of age, assuming that your premiums are going to double? Because they probably will. If you can't mm. afford it, don't even bother getting it at all. Figure out mm. other ways to accumulate enough money mm -hmm. so that you're okay. And live within your means. Let's not well, forget that. Actually, Just because no. you earn the money, you got to live, live within your means. below your means, but below within your, your means. needs. Who needs these serious mansions? Who needs yeah. a new car every year? Who yeah. needs all this stuff? You know, what's funny is that I've done work before with the Miami Heat. And so because of that, I was able to pull down and park our cars when we would go see them where all the players park. Are you kidding me? I... I've never seen cars like this in my life. I mean, yeah. 300,000, 500,000, really? Like, I'm a wealthy woman. I'm driving a car that's 12 years old. Katie and I only have one car between us. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't need a new car. Doesn't matter if I can afford it. I don't need it. Yeah. You know what? I'm glad you brought up the Miami Heat because I heard a fascinating story involving <laughs> you. Uh, you were instrumental 
in the LeBron James deal that led, you know, that that led him to the Miami Heat. Can you tell that story for a quick second, please? You, Susie Orman, had something to do with LeBron James ending up in Miami playing for Pat Riley in the Miami Heat. How did and that Chris, happen? And Chris Bosh and keeping and D. Chris Wade. And Chris Bosh. Right? That's right. Because D. Wade That's was right. thinking of leaving. It was yeah. 2010. In a, it was a it was June fourth actually two thousand and ten, and Pat Riley calls, and Katie answers, and you know she doesn't know who Pat Riley is, and he says he wants to talk to me da da da, he needed something to figure out how does he entice these two players to come to the Miami Heat, and. D. Wade to stay with the Miami Heat, and he knew I could figure out how to do that. Mm. Then he offers me season tickets if I do that. I go, no, you're going to pay me to do this because, you know, I'm I'm a money girl. If I'm going to do something for you, you're going to pay me. Here's my fee. He paid. But then I came to find out, oh, Season tickets forever. I should have taken that deal and just sold them to somebody, but that's besides the deal. I've now learned. But anyway, okay. all right, so, right. So I met with accountants and people who could summarize how much they were going to be paid and what their endorsement deals would probably be worth if they came and they were residents of Miami and here's where they were. Then I went to the stadium where that you know where they played, and I'll never forget walking in. And there's a thing going around, going "Welcome, Susie Orman." I then go up, and now I do videos for, especially LeBron and Chris, and it mm. starts out like this. I go, "How would you like to make an extra ten to fifteen dollars a year, without you having to do one more endorsement?" play one more game, do anything just because. And then I told them about why I'm a Florida resident. 10 to $15 resident. a year or 10 to 15 10 million? 10 to 15 million. 10 Got to 15 okay. million dollars okay. a year. Okay. Right? And, and, and then I went on to explain to them why it would be stupid for them to play anywhere else, financially speaking. And at the end, I said to them, so are you man enough to take the heat, boys? Just like that. And then that was put on an iPad and sent, I think, to their mothers. Because their mothers, because of Oprah and everybody else, that was what Mm -hmm. they told me, Mm -hmm. loved me. But anyway, did they see that? What happened? All I know is I think it was July 8th of just a very short period after that. Oh, and I said to Pat, Pat, I'm going to get both of these guys for you and D. Wade's going to stay there. And he said, Susie, if you can do that, right, I'll give you a ring if we win the championship in 2011. I go, deal. On July 8th, I think it was, he was on yes. ESPN, yes. and he announces, and, and right after that, I get an email from Pat saying, oh, my God, we did it. Oh, my God, Susie. And I really thought I was going to get a ring because all that season, and by the way, they let me come, and they still do anytime I want. <laughs> so right. in the end, I kind of did a good deal there. For yeah, first myself. class organization. Yeah. And 
Then what happened was, here we are in the championship. They're against the Mavericks. And I think, oh my God, I'm going to get a ring. And they lost four to two. And they lost. That's the story. But one last thing. I told them they cannot tell anybody because I didn't want Cleveland to hate me. And I knew if LeBron (laughs) left, they would hate me. And I had nothing to gain from it. So here's the story is out now. It's out now. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. Uh, Just a couple more questions before I let you get on out of here. Let me get personal. Um, I am known as a person who detests having to pay these high taxes. I live in New York and L.A. It's two largest tax states in the United States of America. Everybody knows I complain about this every day. Now, of course, I pay my taxes. You understand? I obey the laws. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to get my money confiscated or anything like that. I'm going to pay uh, whatever it is. But, Susie, I, I'm somebody that is fully aware of the fact that there's no state taxes in Nevada, uh, Texas, Florida, Delaware. I mean, I, I know that. I mean, Tennessee. I know these places, okay? Because I said, you know something? I'm going to move to one of these places so I can keep some of my money in my pocket. I want to know how you feel about my having that attitude. I absolutely love the work that I do, uh, being on television every day for ESPN. But, and of course, I love this podcast doing that. This is on my own. I own and operate it. But I got to tell you, I'm sick and tired of paying these high taxes, Susie. Am I wrong for feeling that way? Yeah. But let me tell you why. Okay. As time went on, when I didn't have, before I had money, I hated paying my taxes. And why? Because I didn't have the money to pay my taxes. And I would go see the CPA and I would sit there and I would be like, waiting, just give me the bad news. And I would wait till almost April 15th to do it because I didn't want to know. And then as time went on and I started to make money. And it was easier for me to pay my taxes. And I didn't really care what that tax bill was going to be. My life became so much more enjoyable. And I'm also somebody who has never taken a lunch break or a, or a lunch meal or anything off my taxes because mm. I've never really had a business lunch. I don't believe in them. So I've never done more than I should on my taxes just to save taxes because I never wanted to worry about the tax man knocking at my door. Now I pay a lot of money in taxes, and that's fine because I make a lot of money. So I changed my attitude that, right, the more money I make, the more I pay in taxes. I'm going to want to make even more money. So I'm fine if I pay more taxes. However, I did move from California to Florida. And I lived in California for 20 some odd years. One of the highest, as you know, income tax yes. states there is. The highest. Pe- people think I did that to save taxes. I did not. I did that because my mother, who was now in her 90s, said to me, she living in Chicago. I'll only move to Florida if you move there because Susie, I can't take the winters anymore. I go, okay, mom, bought a condo. I said, I now live here, move here. And I learned to love it. After mm. I truthfully loved it here, that's when I became a Florida resident and I sold California. I, you know, I sold my New York oh, place. Susie. Right. And that's what I did. 
You might come to learn to love it. You're making me feel so guilty. You're making me feel so guilty. I'm here thinking you were going to tell me, hey, you know what? You're a W-2. You want to be a 1099 is the smart way to go. Stuff like that. I mean, you're making me feel guilty about paying, uh, about about not wanting to pay taxes. I can't believe (laughs) Susie Orman has me feeling guilty right now. Well, see, that's because I'm a bad woman, right? But it's like, as you would say, just say it once for me. Bad man. You're a bad woman. Make or no you know what you can that. say? Oh, what you can say is you're a bad or man. That's right. right. You're a bad or man. I got that too. Listen, <laughs> I don't want to let you get out of here by t- without talking about uh, your website, SusieOrman.com. It's a valuable resource filled with a lot of helpful information. Tell me some of the services you offer, folks. Yeah, listen, screw the website, truthfully. <laughs> you know, I okay. get that's a place that all of you can go and then we capture your email address and then whatever. I don't care about that. There's only one thing that I care about. Listen to the Women and Money podcast, right? Okay. We've had now close to now 30 million downloads. We have 400 episodes for you. It, saved, it would have saved you so much money during the pandemic. It would save mm-hmm. you now. It tells you, I'm telling you, fabulous. It's, you know, I talk about financial abuse. I talk about the emotions of money. I tell you where to invest, why to invest, why not to invest. You got to do it. That's, and guess what? It um, doesn't cost you anything. But yeah. Susie, here's the problem. I mean, I, I, I'm i a bit touched here. Hold on for a second now. First of all, as a man that was raised by five women, I find women to be highly more intelligent than men. And I think that women know a lot more than us. We we probably need it more than you all do. Yeah, but the here's men. the problem. Yeah. Okay. Men are financial fakers. They think they know what they're doing. And they still, to this day, present the image to many women. You know, not just women, California, New York, women in the South, women, whatever. It's like, don't worry your pretty little head about it. I have this all together, right? And then they usually die before women do, men do. I will forever think we're killing them off, but that's besides the point. And that's when women find out that they should have worried about it. They're also finding out. Here's the thing, Stephen. Women, are their nature is to nurture. They will give to everybody before they give to themselves. They will give to their spouse, their parents, their children, their employer, their employees, their pets, and their, you know, plants before mm-hmm. they give to themselves. And then at the age of 50 or 60... Their husband has left them or their spouse has left them. Now they don't have any money and now they don't know what to do. So it's, it's even if they know what to do, they have not taken their power to do it. They are powerful over what? Their household expenses because their house holds everything that they love, especially their children. So mm. women are so smart. They know what to do. They just never felt like they had to. So even on the podcast, what I love more than anything is I have women who are 70 and 80 now who write me, and I try my best to answer every one. You know, and on Thursday, we do a thing called Ask KT and Susie Anything that are from the emails people send in so that why they learn from one another. And it's, it's women are smart Mm. But they don't necessarily still take power over their own money. Understood. Before I let you go, very last question. The new year is upon us. 
I'd like you to give our listeners three important financial moves they should make Ooh. in the new year. All right. If you had been listening to the podcast last year, I was on a whole binge of I bonds, I bonds by series, I bonds, and lock in 9.62%. That was last year. For next year, my advice is for you. If you want your money safe and sound, right? Let's just say you do. If you have larger sums of money that you want safe and sound, buy short-term treasury bills. Just that easy. Short-term treasury bills right now that you can buy at treasurydirect.gov or a brokerage firm or very shortly you're going to be able to buy it through a place that I'm setting up through my website. They're paying you almost 4.5% right now. Keep your money safe and sound. Next, I understand how difficult it is for many of you to save money. You say to me, Susie, I don't have any money to save. I created what's called the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account. And if all of you just go to myalliant.com, you will see that you can open up an account with Alliant Credit Union. If you put in $100 a month every month for 12 consecutive months, at the end of that time, they will give you $100 and currently paying 2.6% interest. Now, that's a big deal because everywhere else you go to get a higher interest rate or whatever, they want at least $1,000. They want this. They want that. So check that out, myalliant.com. And the last piece of advice I would say to all of you is this. Debt is bondage. You will never experience financial freedom if you are in bondage. The number one rule of money or law of money, power attracts money, powerlessness repels it. And that is true because money is controlled by people. When you are powerless, you repel people. The people that do what? Hire you, give you a job promotion. When you are powerful, everybody wants to hire you. What renders you the most powerless is debt. If you really want to become the powerful people you are all meant to be, I am begging all of you to get out of debt, to have at least an 8 to 12-month emergency fund, and to value who you are more than anything else in life. Ms. Susie Orman, I've, uh, it's, it's hard to put into words how enjoyable this conversation was. Mm. I thank you so, so much for talking to me today. It's really enlightening. It's fruitful. There are certain things I'm going to apply. I don't even feel compelled to just to just find a way to get out of New York and L.A. anymore. All because of you. All because of you. I, I almost feel guilty for feeling the way that I did about paying these taxes. I'm Good, feeling Steven. a lot better. Right, because you should thank God. 
that you have that. the ability, I know you do, the ability night. to be the master communicator that you are, to have a platform, whether it's this podcast or ESPN or any of those things, you know, and I know about your platform because Colo, who lives with us here on the island, watches you every day. He, can he work <laughs> between nine and 10 and again, whatever time it is in the <laughs> afternoon? No, I have to watch Stephen A. He is your biggest Fan. Is he here? Tell him I said thank you. Wait, Colo. Wait, you just got to see him. Colo, sure, come on. You, wait, Colo, wait. Wait, look at him. Wait, there come he is. Camera. Right, can you wait? I Wait, come into this picture. Come here, Colo. There What's he up, is. What's up, man? How are you? Here, I'm good. How are you put doing? Put that in your air. <laughs> How are you? How are you, buddy? How's everything? Come on. Good. Go on, Colo. Man, thank you so much for being you. a fan. I really appreciate it. You uh, could ask him welcome. any question about sports, <laughs> and he can answer. What do you think about Daniel Jones and the New York Giants? Not much. <laughs> Neither does he. <laughs> They're too injured. They don't have enough weapons. Uh, but they'll be all right next year because Brian Dable can coach. Oh, great. All right, Stephen A. Smith. You take care, buddy. A pleasure to meet you. All right. Nice to meet you. All righty. Look at him. He's blushing. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just made his life. And you made mine. Thank now, you so I much, just have Susan. to say about Thank that, you, you just made yeah. somebody's life, and you're paid to do that. Enjoy paying those taxes. Enjoy paying Absolutely. those taxes. I, I All right, not, boyfriend. I will not complain about them anymore. I promise. I pr right. I'm promising Susie Orman, I'm not going to complain anymore about paying my taxes. You have my word. Take care of yourself. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh -huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Thanks again to the wonderful, the incomparable Susie Orman. She knows her stuff. There is no doubt about it. Her wealth is her wealth. She's worth millions. Uh, and she started from nothing. And look where she is today. Major props to her. Uh, she's got me feeling guilty. I'm not joking. I've been based in New York and L.A. over the last few years. And I was hell bent on getting out of one of these states because I said, I'm tired of playing state, paying these state income taxes. I want to keep more of my money in my pocket. After talking to her, I actually feel guilty about it. You wouldn't have to pay it if you didn't have if you weren't earning the money or weren't earning enough money to have to pay it. I get her point. I also get her point about debt being a form of prison, because when you owe, you don't own. It belongs to somebody else. And as a result of that reality, it imprisons you. Not just monetarily, not just physically, but psychologically and emotionally. It touches on your strings. Because it compromises your peace of mind. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we're all after? Peace of mind. Recognizing our earning potential, what we're good at, attacking that with fervor. But then in the same breath, not just blowing it all by spending it all and throwing away your money. Save something. Yeah, enjoy the fruits of your labor. Capitalize off your efforts. But don't do it at the expense of your security down the line. No, tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. But damn it, we anticipate that tomorrow is arriving. So if we know tomorrow is arriving and the next month and the next year, especially if we're taking care of ourselves because there is no wealth without health. 
care how wealthy you are. If you're not healthy, you ain't wealthy. So that comes first. But then after that, it's about making sure you live below your means and within your needs. Take care of necessity first. And then ask yourself before you spend, can I really do without this? More often than not, we'll find that the answer is yes. And as a result, our future will be better off than we ever anticipated. Those are not my words. They're Susie Ormond's. But I think it's safe to say she knows a hell of a lot more than I do and a hell of a lot better. And as I've told y'all on many times, on many occasions, I'm great because I know I'm not. I simply learn from those who are and peel wisdom from their level of expertise. Make sure you do the same in 2023. That's it for today's version of No Mercy. As I told you before, you can listen to this podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check it out. Don't forget, come January 9th, my podcast is, will be on video. Buckle up. Here I come. And remember, yes, I'll be back on sports television tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after that, Lord willing. But as I always tell y'all, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. Peace and love, everybody. Until next time, I'm out. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts. Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre-order. I have signed these books, just so you know. So you can visit straightshooterbook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams. So go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir, straightshooterbook.com. Don't wait. It's entitled Straight Shooter. Check it out. Don't miss it.